the scripture reading this morning. Exodus 14, 5 through 14, in the English Standard Version. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pihakiroth in front of Baltsephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us to die in the wilderness, or taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not this? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Well, good to see some gone on Thanksgiving and some here. Glad to see those of you who are back, college and other stuff. And um, We are about to start Advent next Sunday, and I'm going to do a four-week series through Advent leading up to Christmas, and then post that, we're going to start the book of Job, um, which, what is the groans? <laughs> it's in the Bible. We do the Bible here, all right? You're going to be so excited at the end of the book of Job. It's not Job, by the way. There's no, like, Job help if you're not familiar. This is going to be so exciting. You are going to see the hand of God moving and what you thought was suffering was meant for his glory. So anyway, that's preview of things to come in January. So this is a standalone sermon. I hardly ever do that, uh, but it just so happens that I'm just doing one week. And so I was, I, I had about eight different things that I wanted to talk about, but I thought that'd be a little long. So I'm choosing one. And, uh, I, I love to look at sort of the full arc of scripture. One of the things I really enjoy looking at is what, what does God done and been doing since the beginning. You know, his word, the word of God is one story. And it's one story that's basically a portrait of God's rescue plan and how he faithfully pursues those who he loves and and how he's bringing everything to right. And I, I love to look at that. And and yet in my life, I, I, I seem to... Um, not live in the grand arc of that. I, I live sometimes from doubt to doubt and fear to fear, and just I feel like I live so underneath of the story of that. Um, and I take comfort in the fact that I join many Bible uh, people from the Bible who do that as well. But 
I, uh, I'm by nature a plotter, not a racehorse. I just get up every morning and try to just go about my business and do my stuff and, and, and hope along the way that God blesses that and does that. And so here we are, and I, I, I live in light of this being my job as well as my calling to pastor this church and knowing that the facility where we stand at our lease runs out in eight months. And, and I feel like sometimes the sea closes in on me when I think about circumstances. And I don't know about you, but as you're dealing with the circumstances of your life, I know in my heart that God is big and powerful and able to do all things. And yet I live sometimes smaller. And so as I was reading and as I was thinking about what I want to share with you today of the, of the millions of subplots that go on in our lives, I want to take from the book of Exodus and a, a couple of lessons. And I think a couple of things that maybe you've, maybe you've known all this and maybe you haven't. But I want to um, share personally and how does God get me from where I am now to where I know he wants me to be? How does he get our church from where we are now, physically as well as spiritually, to where he wants to be? How are the ways that God operates within his arc of scripture? And I think there's some lessons to glean from this. And Dana just read a short portion. We're going to be looking, if you have your Bible, Exodus 12, 13, 14. That's where we're going to be kind of camped this morning. If I had to look at the arc of the Bible, I would say it sort of sets up like this. The time is coming, Old Testament, the time has come, Jesus. The time is coming. And then the time has come in Jesus a second time. That's how I would look at the arc of this. is the, the time is coming. The time has come. And now we live in both. The time has already come where we live in the truth of Scripture. But the time is still coming when it's going to all be fulfilled. Under that umbrella, I want to look at this story of Exodus. This Give you just a quick, I'll just, if you don't, if you're not familiar with it, I'll just summarize this uh, part of Exodus and really the whole book. It tells the story of God's people who've been in bondage and slavery to Egypt for 430 years. That's a long time, right? Nobody alive or generations beyond can ever remember anything else other than being slaves in Egypt. So God raises up Moses, he comes, he's called as a leader, he comes in, and God works on Egypt through ten plagues. And finally, after the tenth plague, it pushes Pharaoh over the edge. And if you've got your Bible open to chapter 12 of Exodus, verse 31, the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn son, and Pharaoh's son was one of those. And so in verse 31, Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron by night and says, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you've said and be gone. And bless me also. So... The story of this is that the people of Israel wanted to move from where they were, Egypt, living as slaves, to where God had called them to be, a promised land that had been promised to Abraham, but they had long since had any hope of getting where they were supposed to be, and they didn't know how to get there. But through Moses' leadership, and really through God, 
sovereignly just doing in mercy for Israel what they couldn't do for himself, they get the left foot of fellowship by Pharaoh out the door saying, go, serve your God, take your flocks, get out of here. We remember this through Passover, the the, uh, Feast of Passover. The Jews remember this event, uh, also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And many of you may know the, the reason it's unleavened is because they couldn't wait, right? Leaven takes a while to rise, and they said, we've got to get out now. Interestingly enough, this is one of these things that as I was reading through this, um, I, I always thought and pictured in my head that this was the window, the door was open for just a little while. And that the, they, they said, look, we put the bread on to bake, but we can't wait for it. We've just got a little bit of time till the doors close here. You know, just a little bit of opportunity. So everybody gather your stuff. Get out of here. We don't have time. Grab the bread. Get out of here. You realize that wasn't what happened? They weren't in a rush to leave. Let's, let's look at what the Bible says and what the point of it is. Verse 33 of Exodus 12. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. The Egyptians were frantic to get them out. They were the reason that there was the Feast of Unleavened Bread was that the enemy couldn't wait to spring them loose. So they said, we'll all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had done and Moses had told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver, gold jewelry, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. So not only did Egypt say, go, go, get out of here. We can't wait for you to go. They were blessed by their enemy with all these riches. And then look at verse 39. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had been brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait. Nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Egypt had done it all. They were thrust out. That word there, garage, to be thrust out means to be evicted. Right? They were just thrown out. Here's what I want to say is that sometimes God, in his mercy, gets us to where we need to be Because we're going to see that when you live in slavery long enough, when you live as a people underneath the bondage, that's your normal. And you may think, well, why weren't they wild about going? We're going to see a people clawing to get back to Egypt. You say, why? I can only surmise it's because it's what they knew and the comfort of the sin seemed better than the difficulty of the promised land. But here's what I want to tell you. God in his mercy sets them up to be gone from that land forever. Even when they wanted to get back. Here's what I want to contextualize just a little bit for us. Is that we, Colossians 1 uses some of the same sort of language. Colossians 1, 12 through 14. 
If we think about this Thanksgiving weekend, I think about this. We give thanks, it says, to our Father, who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us. It's the same word. You don't deliver yourselves. You don't participate. You're just delivered. Babies don't, right, don't help. Say, I'm ready to help in my own delivery. You just, you just get thrust out into the world. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God in his mercy did for us what we would, could never do for ourselves. What we bring is repentance and saying, God, I believe you. I turn to you. I can't participate in this other than to say I need you. And when we do that, he thrusts us out of an old life and thrusts us in to a new life. I'm loyal. I'm like the last rat on a sinking ship. I have been known to stay at companies long after I should have left. I've been known. But God in his mercy will sometimes take even the last and say, here, safety is in me, not in the circumstance. Now, I want to look at how it is, because remember the Egyptians are just wanting them to go because the problems, the plagues they had now associated with the people of Israel, and they are the ones pushing them out urgently and in haste. What does God do? It would strike me that this God who is so powerful as to overwhelm one of the most powerful nations on the earth at the time and allow a powerless people group, the Israelites, to be cast out and to be given their freedom, I would think he would say, let's just go by the most direct route ever. Let's just get out of here, get you to the promised land, set up life, set up shop, right? That would make sense. They want you out. You want to go out. I know you do, even if you may not think so. So let's see what happens. When verse, uh, we're now in Exodus 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines although that was near. So the way of the Philistines would have been cutting up by the Mediterranean Sea would have been a much more direct route to the promised land. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Now why is it that a people who've just been thrown out of the promised land by a very powerful group, more powerful than the Philistines, why would they quiver in fear at a smaller group as they go out. Why is it that you and I who've been delivered by God from so much somehow get all upset by the circumstances in our life? Any of y'all upset or, or, or just don't you see circumstances in your life right now and you don't, you're not thinking like I am. Uh, I, I do the same thing thinking God, God's got this one. Why is it that the problem we're facing now tends to be too big for God, but all the ones he already did for us like, Oh, well, he took care of that one, but he certainly can't take care of this one. He just, he doesn't know. This, this one he didn't know was coming. God has got it. He had that one and he has this one. So what, why does God take them around this other way? Well, it says that because he knew they were going to quiver in fear, that they were a people who were an enslaved people with a slave mentality, and that they weren't yet fit for the promised land. They weren't ready to walk in relationship with him yet. They weren't ready to walk in his laws and his ways and his statutes. They, were, they had been governed by Egypt. 
you and I grow up governed by the laws of the flesh and the laws of sin and our own selfishness, and we have to be taught to be fit for God's purpose and to live in this kingdom now in the kingdom to come. But it takes this effort. It takes battles. One of the things God's been showing me over the last month or two is there's always a battle around the corner. It's never over, guys. I wish it was. I wish I could tell you, hey, Thanksgiving to Christmas, there's going to be no spiritual warfare. There's like a moratorium on it. It doesn't happen. You are going to be pummeled if you're a person of faith. Now, if you decide to just walk in the ways of the flesh, you probably won't feel much because that's the battle happens when the spirit against the flesh. So, so God leads them out and he leads them by this long way around, right? And it's a lot longer than they think it's going to be because he's fitting them to be a people are going to live in the wilderness a while until they're fit for the kingdom, until they're ready to enter into the promised land, right? 40 years later to take a one month or so journey that it would have taken them the long way would have been about a month. It ends up 40 years. I want you to see another thing that maybe you've seen before. I'm not sure I ever have, but in verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 18, We just saw that they're going around the long way so they don't get afraid. But God led the people, verse 18, chapter 13 of Exodus, around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Note that. They left equipped. They they had armaments or I don't know what the battle elements were of that time, defensive, offensive, but they were equipped for battle. They were ready to fight. Who were they fighting? You just ask yet. Who were they fighting? They weren't fighting Egypt. We're about to see that. If you think in Egypt, they weren't fighting. They were never to fight Egypt. God was fighting Egypt. They were going to have a battle and fight, but it wasn't Egypt. So here's the, the second thing. The first being that God in his mercy does for us what we can't do for ourselves is that we better be sure which battles are ours to fight and which battles aren't. Because the metaphor that that scripture uses here is that this is our salvation. Coming out of Egypt is is like salvation for people who've trusted in Christ. That this isn't a battle we fight. We don't earn and work for our salvation, but there are battles that we are going to fight. Let's see what God does in this battle and and who they're fighting. This part that Dana read as they come up, and I'll give you one other that's interesting in this verse. um, Now we're in chapter 14, verse 4. This verse can, can be troubling to people because it's like the whole free will sovereignty of God thing, but I'll just tell you what the Bible says. God speaking in 14.4, I, God, will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. Pharaoh will pursue them. Why? Can I, didn't, wasn't the point to get Israel out of Egypt? Why would God intervene to harden Pharaoh's heart to get him to chase Israel, to change his mind so he would attack Israel again? Oh, they're equipped for battle. See, now they can fight the fair fight. Nope, it's not what's going to happen. What does God say? He gives us the answer right here. So that 
I will get glory over Pharaoh and his hosts, and the Egyptians will know that I'm the Lord. And they did so. So the king of Egypt, he, he changes his mind. He's sorry he, lets, he let the people go. What's this we have done? We've let Israel go from serving us. So he, he takes his chariots more than they, they didn't have chariots when they left. Whatever, however they were equipped for battle, it wasn't as advanced as the Egyptians were. And they pursued them. And they, interestingly enough, this is so, I don't know, this is so God. <laughs> when Pharaoh in verse 10, this is 14.10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they, the people feared greatly. Remember, they were slave people. They were used to, you know, getting their food and bread and just, but everything done for them. And then what's their default position? Of course, blame the leadership. Verse 11, it's Moses. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die here in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out here from Egypt? Okay. And Moses says to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. God had put them in a position where they were backed up with no escape. They were supposed to turn around with their backs to the sea, facing the Egyptians. And you'd think it was like the fight scene in some movie, and God says, just stand there and shut up. He says, don't speak. This is not a time. There are times in Scripture where it says, praise me, you know, send the musicians out front. There are times. This isn't one of them. He says, just shut up and open your eyes. And it's as direct as that in Scripture. It's pretty, I, I, don't, I don't use that words like, you know, but that's kind of the word of it. It is a command. Don't talk. Open your eyes. Let me just say, that's sometimes a good posture for us is when we say, God, where are you? Because you led me this far, and now the, the enemy I thought I had overcome, that thing in my life or the, the person that seems to be after me or persecuting me or that relationship that's so torn up, I feel like we had some sort of equilibrium, and now it feels like, God, you've unleashed the dogs of war on me, and now you've led me this direction, and I get there, and there's only sea, and I've got to turn around and face this enemy that's coming at me that I don't even know what to do, and I'm not prepared, and I'm equipped for battle, but I'm not supposed to use the weapons. What in the heck, God? And he says, be quiet and watch me work. And so, Moses, who did have a relationship with God, who was beginning to be fit for the promised land, he says, the Lord, in verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. And then God makes a way, as they're facing the Egyptians, Moses lifts up his staff, the sea parts, and the people begin to say, oh, I didn't know there was a secret door behind us. Oh, you see, because I didn't talk and I watched, I turn around and I see a way 
where there was no way because God's power becomes evident and they begin to go and then Pharaoh in his arrogance says, well, we'll follow and then the sea crashes and and he wins a great victory and the people are on the other side and they think, we're here. It's Club Med. Let's just kick back and God says, no, remember the equipping for battle. Now it starts. And he'd said first, I said, be silent and open your eyes. And then when they cross over, you know the first thing that happens? The song of Moses. And he says, now begin to praise me because the battle's beginning. And the song Miriam sings and they begin to celebrate the horse and rider thrown into the sea. Lord, you're my salvation. You're my rock. And then you get into chapter 17 and beyond and you see they begin to be attacked in the wilderness. They're preparing for a long slogging battles to take the promised land. They're beginning to figure out what it means to to see God provide and trust Him every day in the manna period. I think a lot of us are in that sort of wilderness time. And I don't mean it that we're, we're, we don't know God's presence. You realize Israel came to know God's presence in the wilderness, right? They came to see His provision in the wilderness. They came to live according to certain principles in the promised land, but they got to know their God in the wilderness. And they had to learn to trust Him and depend on Him every day. Not on the highs and the lows, but they learned a rhythm of life six days and then store some manna for the seventh day. And for 40 years, they begin to live a rhythm of Sabbath life. And then they begin to live a rhythm of obedient life and they see the cost of disobedience. And this is the life. This is the life. And then a people who are a slave mentality people, except for Joshua and Caleb, have to die out so that a people who are fit for the promised land begin to walk in. I want to be like Joshua and Caleb. I I don't want to die in the wilderness. I want to walk into the promised land. I want to walk in the ways of the Lord and trust Him all the way through. I don't know where we bring 150, 200, whatever stories of of what God's doing and, and, and how God's doing. Let me just say, do you know the battles that you're fighting? Let me just... And this is a word for probably a few people, maybe not everybody, but living under condemnation is not a battle that you're equipped to fight. It's a battle that's been won. It's a battle like the Egyptians' battle. Some of you are fighting under condemnation of, of one sort or another, and the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation, so you're fighting a false battle. To battle hard for living in righteousness when sin encroaches at your door is a battle you will fight. It's a battle you'll fight every day of your life and, and your temptations and whatever. I don't know what yours are. I can tell you mine, but, you know, that's war stories. You'll fight. But goodness sake, don't fight the battles that have already been won. Be quiet. Watch for God and see what he'll do. Now, he's working on our behalf in all these situations. It's not that he doesn't work in our behalf on others, but some we take more active 
and arm ourselves. So I call it this. There's the stand still and believe of justification, of being made right with God. And there's the active battle of sanctification, of being made more like God. This week, as I've been for a long time saying, okay, God, what do we do? What, where, where, where do you want us to go physically? What's happening here? What's, what's up with our church? Um, I, we serve at your pleasure, Lord. You know, I, I don't see a way um, for us to get where we are. We're obviously filling this building pretty regularly now. And, you know, we could, there's other things we could do, but our lease ends in eight, eight or nine months. And maybe we can extend the lease and maybe we can't. I don't know. I felt a little bit like the Egyptians coming, um, or the, uh, the people of Israel leaving with a little bit of a slave mentality. There's not enough money. Northern Virginia's expensive. It is. There's reality. It's also reality the Egyptians had chariots, right? It's, it's reality, right? So, make a long story short, on Monday, basically get a, uh, have a meeting that God has, says, we feel, an individual says, we feel like God has called us to give the church land and provide enough resources to get a building started. And I was like, really? Well, that's wonderful. Theoretically, that's wonderful. And then basically that evening, I get a call that says, land has been purchased in the church name, like a few, three miles from here. We have six and plus acres of land that's now in the church's name. It's like... Shut up. <laughs> I didn't say that, really. I just said, Lord, that's, that's you know, us young people talk like that. And <laughs> Lord, if it didn't seem like the Red Sea opened up behind me. And I say, okay, so I know, I know everything isn't done. I mean, you know, when, in this area, when you get land, there's a lot of vetting to do, and there's a lot of work to do, and there's a few weeks to know whether or not, you know, of testing and all that to know but that it's, it's ours. And I just thought, oh, Lord, you know, as, w- as well as some money to help us start building. We've already had some money put away, but enough to, to begin to get a start. And for a plotter like me, it felt like being a racehorse for a minute, you know? <laughs> and um, I, I tell you this, to rejoice in the Lord, um, but... Whatever you're facing, whatever see, it doesn't seem like there's a way out. I don't know how God will do that. This was not, I was thrust out. I'm not one who's craved building things. I don't, cra- I don't think to myself, oh, I got into ministry to build things. I fear zoning. I fear, <laughs> you know, like finding a bug on the property that, you know, is just like, in habitat or something. I, you know, I, I, I have all the reasons why it won't work out. But my God opens the sea. And he moves in other people's lives to say, this is the way, walk in it. And that where I don't have the strength, some of you guys at this point will have strengths and expertise that I don't. And if this piece of property isn't suitable then the person said, we'll find another piece. We'll, we'll just, you know, we'll, but we're going to see what God does. Um, I'm, I, I, um, I'm sort of speechless, but I also know we need to pray. 
one of our elders had in the last elders meeting had had a, a, a dream and said the dream essentially said and this was before we knew anything that had happened this was a few weeks ago at our last elders meeting and they said you know I, I had this dream that we were given uh, uh, like an amazing house or something and we assumed that it was God and then we did it without consulting the Lord and it turned out the house was terrible but it looked great from the outside and so he just said I just think we should not make any decision even ones we think are so right without coming before the Lord. So I want to call us as a body to pray. People are going to be working this week and next week just looking at things and, and whatever. Would you? We're going to pray now, but would you pray this week that God would give us wisdom so that if we have to say no to something that looks amazing, we do it because it is the Lord leading us. But that if this is what it appears to be to me, which is God just saying, here you go then we would receive it with grace and gratitude and we would move forward with humility. And the fact that, you know, it's been just a gift to us with no financial obligation, there'll be plenty of money to spend down the road if we put up a building or whatever, but we're, for me, it's um, testimony that God is both good and sovereign, but that we want to be a people who make no assumptions but walk in light of his guidance. So would you pray with me? Let's pray now, and then would you, could I ask you to pray? And then we're going to celebrate the best news ever about Jesus' life in us. Well, Lord, you thrust us out, Father. You delivered us from the domain of darkness when we could do nothing for ourselves. You thrust Egypt, you thrust Israel out by the hand of Egypt, Lord. You sovereignly work even through those who don't acknowledge you. And Lord, you take us not by the easy way, Lord, but by the way that brings us into relationship with you, that teaches us to walk in your ways. And Lord, at the end of the day, when we stand still, when we obey, when we trust, and when we look, Lord, somehow, even when it seems there's no way, you make a way through the water. Lord, I'm so thankful and grateful for your hand in in directing people to give and to bless this church with property. Lord, we acknowledge you to your glory and yours alone. And Father, we make no assumptions that just because, Lord, this happened, we we know we submit it to you. We yield it to you. And Lord, we want to be a humble church. We don't want to be a church that grabs on and takes ownership of things that are yours. We want to submit to you and say, this is your church. Do with us as you please. It's your property. It's your money. Everything we have is yours. And so, Lord, we desire to be the kind of people who you look down and are pleased with not only what we're doing, but the way we're doing it. Lord, I sing my praises and gratitude to you for opening a way. And, Lord, we we take every step, Lord, in light of you and your word. 
Father, we know the way forward is the way of the cross. There is no other way unless we submit ourselves to that death of us so that you might live. Lord, when you walked here on earth, you gathered your disciples together. And on the night you were betrayed, you took bread. And after you'd given thanks, you broke the bread. And you said, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And then after supper, you took a cup of wine. When you given thanks, you gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. It's shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let me just say here that if you don't know your sins are forgiven, but you feel the weight of your sins, Jesus Christ stands ready. If you confess your need for Him, you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive. He's the only one who can. Lord, these gifts you gave us of your body and your blood. Lord, they're to remind us of that which is eternal. The kingdom to come, Lord, and our entrance into it through this blood and through this body. We receive these gifts with gratitude and humility in Jesus' name. Amen. As those who are going to serve communion come forward, let me just tell you that at Living Hope, we welcome anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, has confessed their sins, trust that this body, this blood is for you. So just come, take a wafer, dip it into the wine. The ones that are a little darker or gluten-free, please come and participate in this sacrament where what's happened on the inside, we noted on the outside. So... After you've received communion, please stop. Anything that's on your heart or mind, there'll be somebody available to pray with you. Or here you go. To pray with you about those things. So take a minute and stop and be prayed for and see what God does when you ask Him.